Thanks for listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, here with my co-host, the lovely and talented Jeff Simmons. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today? Great to be with you today, Celeste. Great. So we have a a very packed, very tight show, obviously a lot going on today. Uh, We're focusing today, of course, on the situation with Governor Andrew Cuomo, who's just been the subject of a truly scathing, some say truly damning, 168-page investigation into his conduct towards women he worked with, uh, who worked for him, and who worked around him in government. Uh, Cuomo so far basically continues to say he didn't do anything wrong, that his actions have been misinterpreted, and that he's not going anywhere. That may not be up to him. However, he's not finding himself with too many friends lately, but he is facing a lot of calls to step down and he is facing potential impeachment. Even President Biden has said his time is up and he should resign. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, we have, I just want to mention real quickly before I ask Jeff to jump in here, I do want to point out before we get started that we did reach out to the governor's office to invite him, his attorney, or another spokesperson to come on the program today to talk about this. They did not take us up on that offer. Jeff. Yeah, and in fact, as you know, Celeste, I've been reaching out to the Attorney General's office as well. And while they did say they'd be able to provide us with someone that happened a little after we had already booked the show and they were willing to put someone out there, the only other insight I want to provide, because as Celeste noted, we have a very packed show today, is this report is just incredibly, to use her word, damning. I mean, and it talks about not just the governor's actions, but the actions of those that he surrounded himself with. Right. So that's uh, that's a very important point. And I think that's something that we're going to try to bring up here uh, with our first guest and maybe some of the other guests. We do have three guests uh, with us on the program today. Uh, but yeah, you know, the idea that there were people who enabled uh, or abetted those kinds of words are being thrown around the governor in this kind of behavior. And uh, I don't know for anybody who's had a chance to look at the report itself or to look at uh, some of the media coverage, you know, very, very specific, detailed investigation, lots and lots of witness statements, lots and lots of, uh, you know, examples of behavior where the governor, who, by the way, is, uh, and I think this is fair to say, has been characterized many, many times as sort of aggressive, uh, even kind of a bully at times, you know, sort of, uh, you know, acted in a way towards people that made them uncomfortable, involved even physical contact. And so he's going to have to do a lot of work, if it's even possible, if he even chooses to try, uh, to get himself out of this situation without bowing out. So to fill us in on the very latest developments on Governor Cuomo, we want to bring in someone who's been watching all this very closely. Anna Gronewald is a Politico New York playbook writer. She's based in Albany. She's covered state government in New York, North Carolina, and Nebraska for the Associated Press. Previously, she reported on business and finance for more consult in Washington, D.C. So, Anna, welcome to WBAI. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Yeah, so just to start us off, you know, give us a little bit of a a rundown if people have maybe not been uh, glued to their phones or their computers uh, today. uh, You know, what is the situation with uh, Governor Cuomo? What were you hearing and seeing right before you joined us here on the air? Well, you know, we just got a statement actually from the governor's office earlier today. The um, Assembly Impeachment Committee had given Cuomo um, eight days to share any additional evidence that he would like as far as their investigation um, from that side in order to wrap it up. And um, so we just got a statement from the governor's office that said they are going to share their information. They're going to cooperate and um, they will be happy to submit whatever additional um, evidence they would like to do to make their case for the Assembly Impeachment Committee. So the the committee is supposed to meet on Monday, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that any plans will be made. um, As far as moving forward, uh, they just have a meeting scheduled. 
And Anna, great to have you on. I've been reading news reports that noted that a majority of assembly members support impeachment. I'm curious about the process itself. How would impeachment work and how long could it take? That's a very good question, and I think that's the one that's on everyone's mind right now. There's only been one other impeachment in New York State history, and that, too, was a little bit, um, it was a little bit kind of however the people directing it wanted it to go. So at this point, it does look like it's moving faster than it's, we have um, seen it move since it was launched several months ago after James's report. I think it's kind of launched into high gear. It sounds like there are enough votes to impeach the governor, but as far as how long they will take to really nail down their investigation and whether they might try to include some of the other scandals that have plagued the governor over the past year still remains to be seen. So, yeah, the the general sense that I'm getting is that people who are making this argument are talking about both the behavior that the investigation uh alleges that he engaged in, but also more broadly, people like uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, for example, have just come right out and said, look, this is not somebody who is able to govern anymore. He can't do his job. He's too mired and too distracted by the scandal to uh, to actually uh, do the job that people elected him to do. I'm just curious, you know, is there anybody who's still on Andrew Cuomo's side or is he completely alone? You know, I don't think that anyone has really come forward to defend Andrew Cuomo or say that he should continue to govern in this state that things are in. Not only um, were the the accusations that were verified in the report um, pretty egregious, but politically that's a very bad move to come out against someone who is um, sinking so fast, uh, both statewide and nationally. And even some of his closest, strongest supporters um, – have said that it's about time for him to resign because this is just dragging out um, to a bad spot for everyone. Yesterday, the head of the state Democrats, uh, Jay Jacobs, who typically is the person releasing statements in support of Cuomo through everything, said he did also make that decision. And that was kind of a, that was a a bit of a bellwether for me to see that there really aren't any strong allies left, at least publicly. I just want to stay with that for one second, Anna. Uh, as you say, Jay Jacobs has been a very loyal supporter of Andrew Cuomo's. Has there been any sense, has he said openly or uh, have people talked about sort of on background, uh, what was it that really tipped the scales? Was it the investigation? Was it something else? What made Jay Jacobs finally decide that he really had to cut bait on this one? You know, I was listening to an interview with him after he issued the statement And it seems like he himself was still kind of struggling with the enormity of that decision that he had made. Um, I think the way that he described it was that the the reports that were verified through this investigation left no there left no um, room for him to doubt some of the statements that were made by women, and um, that he said went against things that he himself believed in, things that the governor had. Um, even put into state policy for safe workplaces. And, um, you know, there's, there, for the good of the party, if everyone except for the governor is headed one direction, then someone who is allegedly heading the party up and trying to represent the entirety of it across the state couldn't just move in the opposite direction. You know, and Anna, in the report, it mentions this culture of fear, intimidation, and retribution. I'm just doing a partial, uh, partial quote here that coexisted in the executive chamber with one that accepted and normalized everyday flirtations and gender-based comments by the governor. A lot of the reporting in around this scandal has had to do with the people around him who are now being portrayed as enablers of Cuomo. Is there anyone who's been particularly singled out as having contributed to any of the behaviors described in this report? Yeah, I think it was interesting because it was very um, it was very clear that the governor's inner circle or inner ring really was involved to the extent that many of these things that were happening um, were either okayed by them or even um, observed by them, but accepted as a normalized part of culture and a normalized part of how you would lead a hard-charging, aggressive administration like the Cuomo administration has been portrayed. I guess those would be some of the friendlier ways it's been portrayed in recent days. But 
I think that the way that, um, that that was built up and the hierarchy that was established really came through in the report. And so you saw names like, like Melissa DeRosa, who everyone saw for a year at his COVID briefings. She, she is one who um, organizes and controls a lot of the things that happen within the governor's administration. You saw um, names like other secretaries and staffers who, who we know have been with the governor for a long time, like Stephanie Benson. Um, and then you saw some of the, the older names or names from either um, his previous terms or even people who had known, known his father, um, Linda Lacewell, who was with him when he was attorney general. You saw some of his previous communications directors. And so it really emphasized that the people who were part of this culture, the people who even continued the culture for even maybe like new employees that came into the administration were those who had done it for years and years and years. We're speaking to Anna Grunewald of Politico uh, about Andrew Cuomo. This is Driving Forces on WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. And Anna, I just want to stay on that because I'm really glad you brought that up. When I was looking at the report, uh, and I'm sure I have not read it as closely as you have, but I did have a chance to look through it. That was something that really jumped out at me, that some of the witness statements, some of the people interviewed were people whose names I had not heard in years. And I'm just curious, do you think that says something about sort of the either the relationships, the loyalty that Cuomo has engendered or continues to engender in people? Or are people sort of unable to get out of his out of his sort of uh, uh, gravitational pull? It's amazing to me that he got involved. uh, So many of these people that literally their names I had not seen in a very long time, at least in direct association with with Governor Cuomo. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of interesting, maybe even psychological studies to be done for um, a group of people that has been around one another for a decade or even longer. Um, it starts to become a singular, a singular way of thinking. And so, you know, I wonder if when they said, we need people that we can trust because we know they think like us, we know they think in the same way of strategy or even... We know that they think that this thing that we need to do now is going to be okay. And so um, in times of an intense stress, and we saw this a little bit with his COVID response. Um, he brought back quite a few members of his administration that we hadn't seen for quite some time. But I think it happens again here that if we're going to proceed in this manner, um, some of which was, you know, the attorney general said um, in violation of state or federal law, then we need to know that these people are on board and they've proven that they are willing to be on board with whatever we decide to do. Um, And I think maybe those relationships um, can only be built after a group of people spends a very, very long amount of time together under extremely high-pressure situations, and so you know exactly how everyone will react. You know, I start to look at these situations every time when they happen, something like this. And, you know, I want to say the the vultures are circling. And I'm wondering who is, you know, as through your reporting, what are you hearing about, you know, the people who are going to capitalize on this? And, you know, who's going to benefit the most from this if he resigns or if he's impeached? Well, I think that that is um, that is a very interesting way to look at the situation, I think that there's going to be a big vacuum, um, maybe one that people don't even quite expect with all of the busyness of the news right now. But the fact that the governor has taken, has not only been governor for 10 years, but has really infused his personality, his management style into a lot of levels of state government and party, I think um, should he uh, leave office voluntarily or be impeached, it will be very interesting to see who will step up and how that vacuum might be filled, um, whether it's one person or a group of people, or um, if people really are looking for something similar, because that's what they've known for a very long time, or if they're looking for someone completely opposite. Um, who who can gain the most? I think that'll be a, a fascinating New York politics domino effect. One person will move here, someone will move here, this spot will open up, someone will jockey for this spot. And um, you'd, you'd be able to pay me a lot of money if I could tell you what that might look like. 
And uh, speaking of that, and I always uh, hated it as a guest on programs when people would ask me to speculate or give odds. But you know what? Now I'm that guy. So I'm going to be that guy. <laughs> but, um, you know, seeing what you are seeing being right there on the front lines or in talking to a lot of people, you know, do you get a sense of uh, whether uh, he or his advisors are leaning towards uh, actually toughing this one out, going through an impeachment process in hopes of, of being uh, exonerated or at least not kicked out? Or or do you get the sense that, that he is seriously considering uh, walking away from this? So some of the coverage says, you know, it's not a question of if now, it's a question of when does he resign? You know, if it were me, I wouldn't want to have a bunch of people who I had hated on for quite some time, be the ones to ultimately kick me out of office. But I I certainly am not the governor. And uh, I will say with today, today's statement, we actually got a, an analysis from his attorneys that were refuting um, one part of the, the attorney general's report um, saying that they had retaliated against one of the victims, Lindsay Boylan, um, when she first came out with her accusations or, uh, late last year. And um, that's, that's been a huge part of the report and a huge part of the reporting about the governor's administration. So they just sent out a full defense saying that it was not retaliation and they couldn't believe that it was characterized that way in the report. You know, and then we saw this statement from the governor's office just a few moments ago saying we're going to cooperate with this investigation from the Assembly Impeachment Committee and we're going to give the materials. It doesn't sound like a resignation is imminent, um, but that could be completely changed on Monday, um, or it could last another several months. I'm not sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we will certainly, certainly be watching your coverage of this. Uh, Anna Grunewald, how can people find out more about you and your work in Albany? You know what? Like most journalists, I'm unfortunately on Twitter all the time. and My handle is just my first and last name. And then um, you can go to politico.com and Look at the main page because that's where a lot of our Cuomo coverage is these days. We also have a New York separate page. Um, and subscribe to Playbook every morning. Uh, me and Aaron Durkin in the city have all of the news that you need in your inbox. Perfect. Thanks so much, Anna Grunewald of Politico. Really been a pleasure to have you here to uh, help us figure this all out on WBAI. Thanks so much. Thank you. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We're talking about Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is facing uh, an increasingly loud chorus of calls to step down in the face of a major, major investigation that lays out evidence that he behaved inappropriately, verbally, and even physically towards women around him in the course of his work. Uh, and we're going to go to our next guest in just a moment, but I do want to reiterate that we have approached the governor's office uh, to come on this program to speak to the allegations. Uh, they have not taken us up on that, so we are going to share just a brief clip of part of a statement that he released on video pre-recorded, not at a live uh, news conference, following the release of that investigative report. And this segment, very short, is close to the end of his remarks then. He spoke directly to his accusers in that statement. He also suggested that politics plays a role in this scandal. So let's listen. I say to my daughters all the time that as complicated as life gets is as simple as life is. My job is not about me. My job is about you. What matters to me at the end of the day is getting the most done I can for you. And that is what I do every day. And I will not be distracted from that job. And that was Governor Andrew Cuomo in a pre-recorded statement he gave after the release of the extensive independent investigation of his behavior towards women. Now we're going to get right to our next guest to talk more about what's happening with Governor Cuomo, also about New York's history of misconduct among major political figures. I'm talking about Craig Burnett, Associate Dean and an Associate Professor at Hofstra University. His research and teaching interests focus on state and local politics, public opinion, and electoral institutions. Professor Burnett, welcome to WBAI. Thank you for having me. So to start off, Professor, what do you make of the situation with Governor Cuomo? Does he survive? Depends on what you uh, probably think of his survival at this point. Um, you know, he, here he is. Uh, he's, he's gone through 
you know, a pretty public dragging in, in front of everybody, and uh, he's still there. Uh, the 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 question of what is survival at this point is it could be several outcomes you know it could be uh he's just trying to get to the end of the, his elected term and then you know maybe he'll he'll not run for re-election it could be that he is uh survival for him is is actually running and winning a fourth term um it's hard to know exactly maybe he wants to set the terms of his exit uh you know only one person can really answer that question unfortunately and that's the governor but uh in terms of you know, does he? Does he? I personally would say it's it's really hard to see him winning another term at this point. Uh, so if that's his end game, I just I have a hard time seeing that. And what did you think? You know, as, as uh, somebody who has seen a lot of politicians get into a lot of trouble over a, a period of years, uh, what did you think about if you had a chance to see it? His response. He did this uh, rather lengthy video response. Uh, a lot of people have have uh, you know kind of slagged him for how he handled that, including showing a lot of photographs of himself kissing people, men, women, everybody, uh, you know, trying to explain that, you know, being sort of having sort of physical contact with people or being physically affectionate is just the kind of guy he is. What do you think of, of how he handled that? Particularly, how do you think that regular New Yorkers, not, you know, pundits like, uh, you know, or radio people like me and Jeff, but, you know, regular voters, regular people, how do you think that worked? I think it's going to play differently uh, to, to the different types of voters. Um, you know, and in, in, in some ways, there there will be a, some voters who who will really appreciate that he's he's sort of you know he's he's, he's standing pat. He's gonna he's gonna he seems like he's gonna battle. That that's certainly uh, a part of politics that that people like. You know, they they like somebody who's going to get up there and fight for themselves, especially if not for themselves, who would they fight for, right? Uh, but th- that's not really where we're at in politics, and uh, in, in amongst amongst his constituents, right? Amongst the the party infrastructure that that helps him get elected and reelected, and, and ultimately to govern, uh, that they have moved beyond. You know th- that sort of display for Democratic voters, uh, at least a good chunk of them, and at least in New York State, that's not going to play very well. That's going to come off, I think, as tone deaf for a lot of people that they don't. They don't really want to be shown pictures and go, see, this is how I am all the time, so therefore it's excusable. Uh, maybe this is something that would have worked, I don't know, five years, maybe the short end, maybe ten years. But certainly I think, you know, especially as we, we've had a series of revelations and, and really as a nation a, a lot of kind of soul-searching on this question of what is and what is not appropriate in the workplace – I think that kind of defense really isn't going to play very well uh, with a lot of people. And again, I think there's people like, on the whole, not not great. And you know, and in talking about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, I'm really thinking about the culture of Albany. Is this the sort of thing that probably happens there all the time and just does not get talked about enough? Or do you think what Cuomo did mattered more because it involved so many people and went on for such a long period of time? Or was it something else? I, th- I think it's probably a combination of things. I mean, the, the this is you know this is exactly how Albany is understood to operate. You know, the, I don't, I don't, and maybe this is probably somewhat of a surprise for people who don't follow Albany politics very closely. Uh, but for those of us who who actually do follow what's going on up there, um, it's it, this is the report that's been coming back in in, in various formats about how things have happened in Albany and that there is. There is sort of this more salacious side of things, uh, especially when the, the, you know, the, they're in session there in Albany, and not, not you know, obviously less when they're not. Um, so I think I think that's part of it. Uh, you know, I think uh, there's also the length of time in the public eye. You know, that that certainly is going to give more opportunity for people to interpret uh, things as, as being a certain way and, and being willing to come and step forward. There's just going to be more potential for those incidents occurring. So I think you're probably looking at a couple things here, but it's, you know, to what extent is the Albany culture, you know, you know really transfer over to the, the governor's office? That, that I couldn't tell you. I, I think, you know, if, if nothing else, this is a very powerful person in a powerful position, and they're probably used to being treated a certain way. And so uh, how you tease out the differences between those, uh, I'm not sure, but it's certainly the culture of Albany I wouldn't see as being helpful.
We're talking to uh, Craig Burnett of Hofstra University about Governor Andrew Cuomo, who's facing uh, very, very serious allegations just uh, revealed uh, in an independent investigation this week of his behavior towards women that he worked with and around uh, as governor. And Professor Burnett... uh, do you think that, and look, I, I think that looking at the evidence, it certainly is extremely detailed. It's, you know, lots and lots of witnesses, lots and lots of historical record documents and so on. Uh, but do you think that the reception of this report by the public, people's reaction to this would have been any different if Andrew Cuomo were not the kind of person and the kind of leader that he has shown himself to be, the kind of boss? Uh, and uh, colleague that he's shown himself to be over many years in Albany, even before he became attorney general, uh, working very closely with his father, being in politics a long time or being uh, at HUD and so on. Do you think that he uh, sort of made this all worse for himself through years and years of uh, certain positioning towards other people? Or do you think that's not relevant? Yeah, that's a very good question. I've been I've been trying to process it myself because I you know, try to think the best I can what would be my incentives if I were in his position and how I might react to something like this. And you know, clearly there, there's a lot riding on this, right? Not only is it his personal legacy, uh, it's his ambitions to continue to be more like this Rockefeller type of governor that New York's had. I mean, I, I, I firmly believe that's how he sees himself, uh, and, and this is this is a big wrench in those plans, but. Always, you know, I think for him, too, is, you know, the thoughts about what his legacy is in relation to his father's and how he is sort of carrying the family's legacy on. And I think that that makes this, you know, it probably makes it less likely that he's going to want to resign. I think he's, if anything, it probably makes him more likely to fight. And so I, I think, you know, without knowing exactly what he's thinking, that this is probably why he's reacting this way, that he's trying to battle as hard as he can because he feels like he has so much at stake. You've been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM in New York. I'm Jeff Simmons. I'm here with my co-host, Les Katz-Marston, and we're talking with Craig Burnett, Associate Dean and Associate Professor at Hofstra University. Professor, I'm really curious about the impeachment procedures, you know, what takes place. This has not happened in quite, you know, quite a long time. You know, how do you think this is going to play out, you know, politically and also legislatively? What do you, you know, read the tea leaves? Okay, so yeah, we. I'll, I'll first by say that we actually don't know exactly how this is going to play out, because it's, I guess, fortunately, right, we haven't used had to use this very much. Um, that is also the case that most of the time when people get in trouble, they usually just step aside. So we're, we both happen to be occurring at the same time. So what happens next? Uh, it seems pretty clear to me that we're probably going to be heading into an impeachment process here. What the timeline is on that, I, you know, probably only Hasty really knows the answer to that. Uh, are they going, you know, they, they've made it pretty clear that, that all of this sort of plate of scandals are, are on the table here. And so are we going to be looking at nursing homes as well? Are we going to be looking at the book? And if those two things come to play, that could really slow the process down some because that, that work may not be completed yet. And so, unfortunately, I think for for people, your listeners who are thinking, well, what if we want sort of swift action here? I think it could take a while. But let's say that that, that it happens in, in fairly due course. So you're looking at maybe a couple months to kind of get that process done. And then they, they have the obligation to send that up to, assuming that there is you know, a positive vote for impeachment, then that would go uh, to the Senate where they would hold the trial along with the Court of Appeals uh, members as well. Um, and in that time, uh, you know, if that happens, he's supposed to be out of power during that time. And then really it's the, the acquittal or not that's going to determine whether or not that's a permanent action. Um, but several months is, is sort of the timeline for these things. You know, it's, it's nothing else. There's going to have to be a negotiation period amongst the assembly leadership about how they want to run this. Uh, so there's, I assume that's what's happening now, and there, but I do expect it to go forward uh, would, I think two months from this point, that would that would be what I would consider a fairly quick process. And uh, based on, uh, you know, sort of the array of options that the governor has available to him right now, and I know we only have a few moments here, but, uh, you know, politically, if he still has aspirations of being in public life in some way, um, 
do you think it is more strategically wise for him to resign and say something like, well, I'm never going to get a fair trial from these guys? Or is it uh, is it uh, better optically for him to stick it out and say, look, I, I took this job for a reason. You elected me for a reason and I'm going to fight till the end. I think at this point it's too late. I think he's already committed to doing the latter of the two. I, 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 I really have a hard time thinking that resigning at this point is going to buy you a lot of goodwill. So he could still do that and still try. And, you know, there's certainly the, this narrative in American politics that you can disappear and you can come back. You know, you can redeem yourself. We have several stories of this happening. Uh, you know, some of your listeners might remember, uh, you know, the governor from South Carolina who, who disappeared and, and turns out he was actually having an affair and he actually won a, you know, a seat for Congress, uh, you know, not even that long later. So there's, there's a pathway forward for that. But, uh, right now I think he's, he's, he's committed to sticking it out as long as he can. Professor Craig Burnett, I want to thank you so much for appearing here on WBAI today. For our listeners, Craig is the Associate Dean and Associate Professor at Hofstra University. Thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz-Marston and myself here on the show today. My pleasure. You've been listening to WBAI New York. Again, this is Driving Forces. I'm Jeff Simmons, joined by my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. And of course, today we're talking about the topic of the week, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who has been facing mounting calls to step down in the wake of a very serious and detailed independent review of allegations of sexual misconduct against a, a number of women from former aides to a state trooper assigned to his detail. Now, in a little while, we're going to take your calls. We want to hear from you after our next guest. We, we want to know what you think about the scandal embroiling the governor. So write down this number now. Don't call yet because we're going to interview another guest. The number to write down is 212-209-2877. Once again, that's 212-209-2877. So we will be looking forward to taking your calls. But in the meantime, uh, as we get ready to do that, we are going to be joined by one more guest who looked through the Cuomo investigation with great interest and particular insight. Uh, Karen Friedman Agnifilo uh, joined the firm Gergos and Gergos after a three-decade career in criminal justice. She is the former number two executive for a Manhattan DA, Cy Vance Jr. Uh, when she was with the office, she was the principal policy advisor to the DA. And Karen's legal experience includes crimes, homicides, sexual assault, violent gangs, human trafficking, child abuse. She has also served as general counsel to the New York City Mayor's Office's Criminal Justice Coordinator. So, Karen Agnifilo, thanks so much for joining us here today on Driving Forces. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So, Karen, I just want to start off. You had a great talk with uh, Greg B. Smith, a former uh, colleague of mine. Jeff and I are actually both alumni of the of the Daily News, where uh, we know Greg Smith from. He's now a reporter for the city. And you had a good talk with him about your reading of the investigation, the independent investigation of the governor. Um, curious to know, as an expert uh, in this area, what did you think about how that investigation was conducted? Did you think it was pretty airtight, pretty well, uh, pretty well run, or is there anything you would have done differently? I think it was an excellent investigation that was done. First of all, the people that they had running it are uh, very respected uh, people who are known to call balls and strikes and um, aren't partisan, aren't political. And they are have great experience at being fact finders and going where the evidence leads. So I have high regard for June Kim and the team that he put together. And they did an expansive investigation. They talked to multiple people, some named, some unnamed. And they issued dozens of subpoenas and uh, conducted many, many, many hours of investigations. And I think they did an excellent, thorough job, and um, I was very impressed with it. If asking if I would have done anything differently, uh, certainly I wouldn't second guess something as excellent as this. Uh, but but one thing that did strike me is is they didn't go so far as to opine on whether crimes were committed by the governor, and I think that's an area uh, that perhaps uh, could have been addressed. They certainly had the expertise, but, but that's the one area that I thought perhaps could have been addressed. 
And I'm glad that you mentioned that because you know you talked in the piece published by the city about possible criminal charges against the governor. Can you talk a little specifically about what those charges might be and what would happen if the governor was in fact convicted on any or all of them? Sure. So it's hard just reading sort of black and white, you know, in, in a report and saying whether or not a crime was actually committed. Normally you talk to the victims and, and the witnesses and you look at evidence and you have the benefit of, of really reviewing what's there. But, but certainly reading the facts uh, as they are, uh, I think there was 11, um, 11 victims who came forward. And in eight of those uh, individual cases, I saw possible crimes. And again, I'm, I'm not saying for sure, I'm not saying 100%, but potentially I see eight, uh, eight individuals who could potentially have, have crimes brought based on the conduct. Um, in, in New York, we have obviously, like anywhere else, there's felonies which are more serious and misdemeanors which are slightly less serious and punishable up to a year in jail. I only saw misdemeanor conduct in these in, in, in sort of potential charges and two charges in particular in New York, one's called forcible touching and one's called sexu- sexual abuse in the third degree. And uh, those are both misdemeanors in New York and, and they involve um, forcible touching involves sort of the grabbing, pinching or squeezing of sexual or intimate parts. And it can be for the purpose of sexual gratification or it can be for the purpose of degrading somebody or for no legitimate purpose. Sexual abuse in the third degree is slightly different. It requires it to be for the purpose of gratis- sexual gratification. So, again, you have to look at the context. You have to look at it's not enough just to look at sort of what he did, but you have to look at the context, look at the intent. Um, and, and then you see, is it within the statute of limitations? And the statute of limitations is sort of the time within which you have to bring a charge. And in New York, that's two years. So normally you look back two years from whatever date, today's August 5th, I believe. So you'd look back two years and August 5th, 2019, anything that occurred after that would be within the statute of limitations. What's interesting here, however, is that uh, this governor exercised his emergency powers during the pandemic and issued various executive orders. One was issued on March 20th, 2020, and um, then there were multiple ones issued after that, ultimately rescinding it in May of 2021, pressing pause on the statute of limitations, which means he, the, the, any prosecutor looking at this gets to subtract over a year uh, from that time period and look back even further. So many of these will be within the statute of limitations. And, and if they can prove the intent, I think that it's possible that criminal charges could be brought. Of course, the, the survivors would have to be willing and, co- and able to cooperate, which is a whole other, uh, a whole other conversation because uh, they showed great courage coming forward in this particular case, and I applaud them. It's, it's not easy to come forward against arguably the most powerful man in New York. Uh, the governor, and I can understand why they'd be hesitant to uh, to go against him in a court of law, and why they'd be hesitant to have their whole life examined and criticized. And um, even even the governor's own video montage that he put together, I, I think one of one of the victims described it. She felt like he gaslighted her, saying uh, saying that she misinterpreted what he was doing. And, and that's a really hard thing. When, when you're the, the victim of a sexual assault and you have someone sort of either questioning you and saying, saying things to you or gaslighting you, you start to question yourself. You start to wonder. And it's, it's very hard to come forward and put your whole, your whole life on, on the line like that. So, so we'll see. It, it's to be determined. But if, if they do come forward and it's within the statute of limitations, and they can the elements of the crimes can be proven. I think it'll it'll be interesting to see if if charges are brought. I know the Albany County District Attorney David Soares, uh, where is is um, has asked for people to come forward, and I believe that's where most of the conduct occurred, given that 
Albany is the capital of New York, obviously, and, and where the governor's mansion is. And most his, he has offices all over the state, but he in particular spends a lot of time in Albany. We're talking to Karen Freeman Agnifilo uh, here on Driving Forces. Subject, obviously, today, Governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, who is facing many calls to resign, also looking at uh, impeachment proceedings uh, over his uh, allegations of uh, having uh, sexually and otherwise mistreated women who worked uh, with him, for him, and around him. And, uh, Karen, I want to go back for one second. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the video montage and, and the governor's uh, statement, his response to this you know you said that um uh, at least one of uh, one of the women who is involved in this said that she felt like she was being gaslighted uh, i wonder what you thought of how he approached responding to this uh, in a public way did he do anything uh you know from a legal standpoint as well as a political standpoint to help or hurt his positioning going forward so when the report came out, I read it with great interest, and I didn't—I wasn't going to necessarily comment publicly. But it wasn't until I saw his response that I felt like I wanted to respond publicly, mostly on behalf of the victims here, because I too thought—and and the word gaslight came to mind even before I heard—I uh, think it was Lindsay Boylan who, who said it. I, I thought the same thing, and I, I couldn't believe that that was his response. It was clear to me that he'd been preparing it for a long time, that that was something that was, was edited, scripted, and um, pr- highly produced. So it was clear he was working on it for a long time and getting ready to release it. And it was clear to me that he just doesn't get it. He really, really doesn't get it. He doesn't get how, uh, how his actions were received. He doesn't. He, he tried to make excuses and to say things like, "Well, my mother did it, my father did it. I kiss men, I kiss women, I kiss everybody. That's just how I am. I never meant anything by it." Um, it's he. He really just doesn't understand the difference between uh, sort of how he, I guess, does, how his actions are perceived. And what I thought was really interesting was was part, partly I, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt and think to myself, maybe he just didn't understand. Maybe it was the way he said. But I found it very interesting and, and actually stunning that in this report, uh, the Attorney General's report, they actually went further and they found him not credible. They didn't just say these are the facts. They didn't just say that they found the victims credible. They went so far as to say, we found the governor not credible. That means they don't believe him. And, and they did it based on proof and other surrounding circumstances that shows that his account is not to be credited. And, and that's when I thought this is just a, a, a different, a different ballgame. And I want to thank you so much for appearing here on WBAI today. Uh, Karen, how can people find out more about you and your work if they'd like to know more? Uh, I work for the law firm of Garagos and Garagos. You can go on our website and you can find me and that's, that's where I am. Karen Friedman Agnifello, thank you so much for appearing here on WBAI today. Great. Thank you for having me. We are now opening up those phone lines. We want to know what you think. You've been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI, and the number to call is 212-209-2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. What do you think is going to happen to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo? Do you think he quits? Do you think he resigns? Do you think, rather, uh, do you think he gets impeached? Would you be sorry to see him go? 212-209-2877. Give us a call right now. Celeste, what did you think of what you just heard? Because that was a very insightful conversation. Yeah, that was, I'm, I'm very glad that we had a chance to have actually all three guests, but certainly that last comment, you know, the idea that uh, we are talking here in a, you know, political respect. Are people, uh, is, is Andrew Cuomo going to go away? Does he have... Uh, Life Life, I see we already have uh, th- at least three people on the line who want to talk about this. 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. Uh, 
1-800-259-2877. But very interesting what Karen Agnuflo is saying that, you know, there may be criminal charges that can be brought as a result of this. Even if he goes away, those might not. So we're just going to go right to the phones. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? I'm Bill in New York City. How are you? Good, Bill. What's on your mind today? Thanks a lot. Um, you know, I don't like Andrew Cuomo, never liked him. I'm a Trump supporter. I also support WBAI. But I just wanted to say that this is nonsense because, and I'll tell you why. He should have been charged with the nursing home thing. I'm sure everybody agrees with that. He should have been charged with that. This is a two-way street. Women play games. The one who called him up with that tape where he's singing, Do You Love Me, that, that recording we all heard, right, for the last 24 hours, she called him up with her tape recorder rolling. She also admitted in this investigation to bringing up the tattoo to him. She wore short denim blue jeans, cut off shorts around him. Women, this is a two-way street, okay? Okay, so, so Bill, no, I, and I understand, I'm sorry, I'm just going to break in here for one second because we do have a bunch of other callers holding. And, uh, you know, I, I want to thank you for giving this call. I want to thank you for supporting the station. I think that there is a lot of discussion out there and a lot of literature out there about how uh, the way women dress uh, is not necessarily an invitation and, frankly, is not an invitation for unwanted touching, unwanted advances. People are responsible for their own bodies and for being respectful of other people's bodies. So I, I don't want to run over you there, Bill, because I do appreciate your call. And uh, we're going to go to our next caller. But I do I do feel compelled to make that point both as well, you know, as a as the host of this program, co-host of this program, uh, as a reporter who worked in Albany for a number of years, and also just as a, a woman in general. So we're going to go to our next call. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Hi, it's Russ in Westchester, Celeste. Hey, Russ, what's up? She was recording the call because she could see which, which direction it was going. She, she saw this perv was going this direction. And she was a young woman. She did things by mistake. He was four decades older. I think we should consign Andrew Cuomo to the dustbin of history and begin removing the Cuomo name from the Tappan Zee Bridge. That's all. But I'd like to hear more about who is Kathy Hochul. She was the mayor of Syracuse. I know almost nothing else about it. I'd like you, you folks to look into her. I would have rather heard about that because this is just repeating everything that's being said. And I'd like to point out that there's no investigation for Scott Stringer of Gene Kim, who popped up at a calculated time, and another accuser who pops up from 30-year-old personnel records that Andrew Cuomo probably pulled up. There's never going to be an exoneration for him, but I've come to terms with it. Scott's enjoying his kids, growing up at a time that they need him. It's better for his kids. It's better for his spouse. It's worse for New York. But that's what's going to happen. Cuomo's going to cut a deal and walk away from the whole thing. I think we should be talking about him. Thanks. Russell, thank you so much for calling in and to uh, just uh, build on what you just said. You asked about Kathy Hochul. This isn't, you know, describing a lot about her, but I do want to know she's the lieutenant governor in New York, if you weren't familiar to some of our listeners. And she basically had tweeted uh, shortly after this report came out a statement where she called the governor's behavior repulsive and unlawful. Uh, one other note, and we're going to get to the next call. I want to just mention, I meant to say this at the beginning of the show, uh, that a Marist poll found that 63% of New York voters want the governor to resign. 59% want the legislature to impeach him if he won't. So I'm curious what you think about that. Let's go to the next call. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? Hi, I'll just keep it anonymous if it's okay. Yes, it is. And what's on your mind today? Um, yeah, so uh, I just had a teenager um, kind of approach me at a festival, um, and I gave her positive feedback because um, she just was a member of this dance crew, and they did a fabulous job. But the song they chose had the B word in it, and I was like, yeah, everything was so great, and I was raving about it, except for that, you know, choice. I wonder if we should start using that like the N word, because what we have going on with Cuomo, I think, is about degradation. And your last interviewee um, mentioned that if he's brought up on criminal charges, one version of, like, um, the crime that he might have committed, you know, it, if it falls into the category of, you know, the reason for degrading women. And this girl, I was like, well, you know, maybe we want to, you know, I said, did you know that um, the World Economic Forum put out a report that said that um, 
it'll be 257 years before women get paid as much as men in the United States. And nowhere in the world do women get paid as much as men. And Iceland is the closest country where women get paid as much as men, and, that, and that's an 11-year gap, and that's called the gender pay gap. And I know there was even a report that came out here in New York City about that within the New York City workforce. I need to cut you off uh, because we have to wrap up in just a few minutes, but I want to thank you for giving us uh, a call today. Uh, you have been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM. And also, as we tr- I try to remind you, streaming at WBAI.org. Uh, Celeste, any final thoughts? And I can talk about City Watch briefly, but any final thoughts on our topic today? Yeah, you know, I think we had three really excellent discussions. And I'm also always very glad to, to hear from callers. Sometimes we don't always agree with the callers, but that's fine. We, we, uh, really appreciate and respect a, a wide array of viewpoints here on BAI. And I think Driving Forces has a really good history of, uh, of trying to bring, uh, as many of those viewpoints, uh, uh, to the public ear and eye as possibly can. But Jeff, go ahead. Tell us about Steady Watch on Sunday. <laughs> well, this will be co-host, uh, hosted rather on Sunday by David Brand, 10 a.m. on Sunday. He will be speaking with Phil Koltoff and Linda Lausel Bryant about their new book, A Time for Reflection and Reckoning, A Call to Action. And then he will have on here the homeless hero, Shams DeBaron. And just one more reminder, we forgot to, or I forgot to mention this earlier. I do want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And, you know, and I try to expand on this more, but I do want to just say, if you do like WBAI, if it means something to you, please make a point of donating. Remember, your donations are tax deductible. Please go to WBAI.org today to give to support us. We want to thank our guests today. We had uh, we heard from Anna Grunewald of Politico, Craig Burnett of Hofstra University, and Karen Agnifilo of Garagos and Garagos, a longtime prosecutor. Special thanks, as always, to our engineer, Reggie, and as always to you, our listeners. If you missed any part of the program, check it out in the archive section at WBAI.org, and you can subscribe to rebroadcasts of this program via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. And here with Jeff Simmons on Driving Forces. Stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. See you on the radio.